And so this morning we will continue on our Bible engagement series, looking at uh, the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And today we're looking at chapter four. The call to sanctification, living to please God. Big thoughts. I love encouraging words. I love a lot of things. Encouraging words are one of those things. And not just for myself, but I love, um, call it eavesdropping if you will, but I love walking upon someone and hearing them encouraging someone else. When someone's speaking life into someone, uh, I love it. It just, it gives me life. And this is what we read in this book. Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians in the end of chapter 3, which we looked at last week. Uh, he's increasing them to, uh, to grow in love for one another and to work towards making their hearts blameless in holiness before God. Because he says, don't forget, the day of the Lord is coming. This is why we're doing this. And in continuation with that, in chapter 4, he continues to encourage them. He has so much to say. I am so proud of you, church, is what he's saying. And so I want to say the same to you. I am so proud of you, church. And we're going to look at that together and read what that's all about today. And so would you stand here in the auditorium and those at home, and we're going to read from the word of God together. Declare it in one voice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And it says, Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you will keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his life his, in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions, like the Gentiles, who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or a sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that your word transforms and changes us because it is the living word of God. And so I ask as we dig in today that you would reveal to us the hard places in our hearts that need softening towards you. Would you reveal your word to us today in a powerful and mighty way? And we pray this in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So this morning, Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians to keep going in their faith, to continue on. He's saying, I know you've heard the instructions that we have already given you from the Lord. And that's great. You're doing really well, but keep going. He says, I need you to do it even more. Last Saturday, we called together the leaders of this church, those who are volunteering, those who are paving the way, speaking into others, discipling others, bringing forward the mission of God. And we said, come, come to the church. We want to pour into you. We want to invest into you. And we heard stories and testimonies of what God is doing. It was a powerful Saturday. But to those volunteers and to every person in this church, I say, I see you. You're doing a good work. 
but keep on going. Do it even more. Not for the sake of being busy doers who fill their lives with responsibility, but for the sake of furthering the gospel, for the sake of godly obedience and growth, for the sake of sanctification. This is what Paul is saying in verse 2. Paul knows that he gave the Lord's instructions to the Thessalonians. He's reminding them of this. He says, for you know what commands I gave you from the Lord Jesus. Two really important things here. First and foremost, he's encouraging them. I'm so proud of you, church. I see you. You're doing the work. You're heeding the instruction. You've put it into your life and you're living it out. I'm proud of you. But then secondly, he's calling them into accountability. He says, church, you know the instruction. Live it out. And live it out even more. Verse 3 tells us that those commands are not just for good living. They're actually part of God's call for our lives. They're part of our sanctification. Verse 3 says, for this is God's will, your sanctification. I don't want to assume that everyone here today knows what this big term, sanctification, means. And so let's break it down. Sanctification simply means to be set apart. Set apart for special use or purpose. In a theological sense, it means to be made holy, to be sacred. It is the state or the process of being made set apart. In this theological sense, we can understand that things are sanctified, they are made holy, they are set apart when they are used for the purpose God intends. And likewise, human beings... We are sanctified when we live according to God's design and purpose. Do you believe God has a design and purpose for each of you? Amen. He does. This is where the passage becomes a little bit fun, maybe a little uncomfortable. But that's important. We grow when we're uncomfortable, right? Oh, you got so quiet. Paul reminds us that as we've known the instruction of the Lord, as we've heard the instruction of the Lord, that... We are specifically designed for holy purposes. Then he decides to go down a whole road, an entire path about sexual immorality and impurity. Fun. (laughs) Great. As much as some of us don't want to hear it today, church, these things are part of our sanctification. It includes keeping away from sexual immorality Sanctification includes keeping away from impurity. Remember here, and this is important as you read scripture, remember that Paul's not talking to the unbelievers. He's not out preaching on a street corner. He's talking to the believers. He's talking to those in the pews, taking communion and and confessing and, and, and saying, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking to. Sexual immorality was a difficult thing for them. It was then and it is today, still. Culture will speak to us very differently about these things than God's word will. People often comment about how difficult today's culture is. It's so much more difficult than it was. Is scripture still applicable? Absolutely. While it's true, (laughs) immorality and impurity, they haven't changed. There's still immorality and impurity. The culture might be messy, but it was messy then too. 
the Thessalonians experienced a need to be different than the culture around them because the culture around them was not godly. They too experienced, what? Lustful passions, a lack of self-control over their bodies and taking advantage of others. That's why Paul brings it up in the letter. And that's why we bring it up in the letter. As Christ followers, we recognize that we are called to something different from the world. God leaves us these words in his book of instructions so we can follow them, so we can believe them, so we can live them out on that process of sanctification. Verse 3 says, For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you will keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God, this means one must not transgress against, what is that word, violate. Must not violate and take advantage of a brother or a sister in this manner. Because the Lord is an avenger of all of these offenses. And as we have previously told and warned you, God has not called us to impurity, but what? To live in holiness. So why is Paul talking about sexual ethics in the midst of sanctification? Seems like a really hard turn, doesn't it? It's because sexual immorality, it's because impurity is a tremendous deterrent for so much of the population, even the Christian population, on that path to sanctification. It's one of our biggest stumbling blocks and obstacles on that path to holiness. Sexual immorality is about sin, it's about lust, it's about selfishness, it's about impurity. It's about personal enjoyment instead of spiritual discipline. It's about the immediate instead of the eternal. And when you look at it that way, it makes so much sense that Paul has placed it into this text because all of First and Second Thessalonians, what is it about? The eternal. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. He's saying as part of our sanctification, we have to remember the end game. We have to keep our eyes focused on where we are going. And when our eyes are focused on where we are going, all of this mess on the side just becomes mess on the side. And we walk right past it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Leviticus 19, uh, God has Moses reminding the people that he is holy. He says, be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. Be holy. Stop being impure. Aim to be like your father. When Christians live to please God, we, we strive to cut out all that makes us unholy. Sanctification is that process. It refines us. It refines us in obedience and in discipline and in selflessness. That's a hard one. Paul's reminding us not only to know the commands of the Lord, but to live out the commands of the Lord. Strive in holiness. While salvation is gifted to us freely by grace and faith alone, it is important that we recognize that there is still a place for effort in the Christian life. You can't sit on a chair and hope to be changed if you put forth no effort. Our sinful ways, our choices, our motivations, they change us. They turn us into people that we were never actually designed to be. Our efforts and our strivings towards sanctification, paired with God's amazing grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, 
those are what refine us back into who we were created to be. We walk in God's holiness. Titus chapter 2 says, but the grace of God trains us. It trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives when? In this present age. Scripture says in this present age. It wasn't just for the Thessalonians. It's in this today. This is a relevant context for us today. 1 Timothy 4 says, in fact, motivated and empowered by the grace of God, we are to train ourselves for godliness. You have to keep working at it and keep working at it and keep working at it. And as we read it, Paul's words in verse 1, as you are doing, church, and we are so proud of you because we see you growing in your faith, but keep growing even more. Keep striving even more. Keep training even more. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14 says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. Okay, I'm going to pause here. First service struggled with this. No is a very important word. I'm teaching my nine-year-old. No means no. I'm going to teach us all to say no. <laughs> we say it in a big, loud voice so people can hear us. We are saying no to ungodliness and no to the worldly passions because God has a plan for you. And so together in your best voice, and those at home, I want to hear you from home somehow, I want you to say, I'm going to point at you, and when I point at you, I want you to say, no, and I want you to mean it, because I want you to remember it. Okay, you ready? Okay, go. No! Oh, Helena, I heard that. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so we say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own who are eager to do what is good. We are a people set apart for God's purpose, eager to do what is good. As we are refined, it keeps our focus on Jesus and his imminent return. When we focus on, our, on his return, our actions change. They become a true light. We become a true light in the dark culture around us. We keep Christ at the center of all that we do. We sang those words today. Did you mean those words today? Do you live those words today? We need to keep Christ at the center of all we do. Our actions and our thoughts are more holy and pure because the bigger picture of eternity, it holds our focus. Verse 6, it says, this means one must not transgress against. Remember, that means violate. Does not, and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all of these offenses. As we also previously told and warned you, listen, friends, they've already been told. And in the same way, you have been told. Every week we get up and we preach the word of God, and hopefully every day you get up and you read the word of God and you receive instruction from the Lord. And Paul is saying, don't forget, you've already received this instruction. Don't you forget 
the instruction. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. And we do that because it sets us apart from the world. Skip Heitzig, in, the, in his book, The Bible, from 30,000 feet, he, I love how he puts this into words. He says, both the Greek and the Roman cultures held abstinence in disdain. They hated it. Sexual pleasure had been part of the worship of the Greeks and Romans, and they took lovers whenever and wherever they pleased. Before the gospel took hold in that part of the world, promiscuity was the cultural norm. Well, that sounds like today, doesn't it? Doesn't sound any different. Some of you, like the Greeks and the Romans in this context, you hold disdain towards the Lord's instructions. You hold disdain towards obedience towards God in your life. I urge you to surrender that, to let go of that disdain Allow God to begin that sanctifying process in your life because he wants to set you apart for a holy purpose. Friends, God's instruction doesn't limit our life. It doesn't hold us back from the best things the world has to offer. They free us. God's instructions free us from the world. They free us from having to run that rat race of being like everyone else. (laughs) We get to be who we've been created to be from Jesus. We're freed from sin and condemnation. Paul made it clear that God has better plans for his children. A higher moral purpose that includes what? Self-control, not self-centeredness. Verses 7 and 8, God has not called us to impurity but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. We have the very best gift in the whole world, and that is the Holy Spirit. He teaches and leads and empowers us in ways that the world never can. It wasn't uncommon for the Thessalonians to uh, imitate culture more than Jesus. And we have that same issue today. Uh, Influence is everything. (laughs) Pastor Chris recently was speaking on a webinar that I happened to stumble upon, and he was speaking to Christian leaders, and he posed the question, who is leading you? How are you being influenced? Is it from the Bible in, or is it from culture out? What leads you? Culture culture will tell us things that are very different from Scripture. Culture tells us that common law marriage is great for financial security and tax breaks. It tells us that it's a relationship without legal commitment, so it's safe and it's practical. And marriage, marriage has financial, social, and legal implications, and so stay away. But I tell you that the word of God speaks different. And it says in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. 
Friends, there is a reason that we declare this scripture over married couples during a marriage ceremony, and we do not declare it over a couple as they pass a key to one another. There is something sacred in the ceremony. There is something sacred in the union. Culture will tell us that marriage is archaic, patriarchal, abnormal, even unnatural to tie yourself to one person for the rest of your life. The Bible tells us that marriage is a picture of God's will for Christ and his church. It is set apart. Ephesians 5 tells us that for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, and this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and his church. John Piper explains this in a beautiful way, and he says, the union of a man and a woman in marriage is a mystery because it conceals, as in a parable, a truth about Christ and the church. A divine reality hidden in the metaphor of marriage. It is that God endured, ordained a permanent union between his son and the church. He says, human marriage is the earthly image of this divine plan. As God willed for Christ and the church to become one body, so he willed for marriage to reflect this pattern, that the husband and the wife would become one flesh. Marriage is created for such a bigger purpose than fluffy white dresses and dancing your heart out and eating more food than you should. There are sanctified purposes when we are living the way that God has designed us. Marriage is a depiction of our relationship with God and therefore is set apart. Culture tells us that you can be whoever and whatever you want to be. And the Bible says the same thing. You can be whoever you want to be. However, we choose God's way. God has given us free will. He's given us free choice. He's given us preference. But he's also given us a plan. He says, defer your present, your, your preference, believers. Defer it. Come and follow me because my plan is right. When living a life surrounded by the opposing culture, we look to God to remind us of the why. How many of you are why people? You need to know the why. I need to know the why. <laughs> I love the why. We're walking this sometimes difficult path before us. And sometimes it's easy to look around and see other people not living a life, a godly life, a Christian life, a sanctified life, and to say, God, that looks so much easier. <laughs> There's no repercussions on their life. They get to do whatever they want, Lord. But let me remind you today that it is no little repercussion. It is massive because that repercussion is eternal. We strive towards a life that is pleasing to God because it is eternal. So never lose sight of that. It is eternal. And that's why part of our sanctification reminds us that God has good intentions for us. Verse 7 says, For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. And consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. One of my favorite verses is found in Psalms chapter 51, verse 5. And it, it simply says, 
I was born a sinner. (laughs) Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, I was a sinner. It's important we remember this. We need to be reminded of our humanity, of how unholy we are, and the need of holiness in our lives. We were born sinful and impure, but the grace, the justification, the forgiveness of God, it transforms us from impure to holy, from selfish sinner to sanctified, from sinner to saved. When we have disdain for God's instruction or when we reject his holiness, we reject God. We reject the God who saves the God who redeems, the one who forgives, the God who provides and transforms, the one who carries us through and purposes us for good, the God who has given us literally everything that we need through the power of his Holy Spirit. When we reject and ignore his instructions, we choose our way. We choose culture's way. We decide that the culture's way is better than his way and our way is better than his way instead of his ways being higher and better and more purposed than our ways. Paul works hard to remind the Thessalonians to keep the end game in mind. That life on earth is temporal. And even though we are sinners by birth, God has created us to grow in holiness. So friends, keep growing. Never stop growing. One of the things I love telling people when they're participating in water baptism is that I say, friends, this is just one thing on the path to obedience and Christian living. This is one thing that God is asking you, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day, he's going to ask you something else. We continue on that path of sanctification, allowing it to grow us and mature us in the faith. That path, it doesn't stop. It doesn't end until you stop walking it. And whether that be by choice or by the Lord calling you home, your path continues. So walk it. Take that next step as you grow in your faith. Let me encourage you to make a concerted effort towards knowing the instructions that God has given you so you can live the life that was purposed for you. 1 Timothy chapter 1 says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands for the Holy Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power and love and self-discipline. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his purpose and grace. Hallelujah. He's so good. The Holy Spirit not only encourages us, but provides power, love, and the self-discipline required to walk the path before us. You don't have to do it alone. (laughs) The Spirit empowers you as you go. I'll call the worship team back up and ask you, so where does that leave us this morning? What does that leave us with? Two things. Number one, it leaves us, every one of us, with a need for repentance. To take a good hard look at our lives and ask the Lord to show us where we've held disdain towards his word, towards his instruction. 
Where have we decided, no, that's not important, or no, that's too hard, I don't want that, or ah, that's old. (laughs) That has nothing to do with today. That's not valid. It's pretty valid. Every last word is valid because it is the word from the living God. Repent. Repent from those words you've intentionally held disdain towards. Nah, I don't need to, I don't need to gather with believers. I don't need to grow in discipleship. I don't need to memorize God's word. I don't really like worship, so I'm just gonna sit out there. <laughs> These are important things, friends. Every word is important. It's meant for a purpose. And so what else? Where else does it leave us? It leaves me encouraging you today. I hope you are encouraged. As Paul encouraged the Thessalonians, I want to encourage you. As you've heard this instruction, I do see you doing it. I see you growing in your faith. Nothing gives your pastors more joy than watching you grow in your faith. So keep going. Keep going. For this is God's will. It's your sanctification. So grow in holiness, friends, and live out your divine purpose. Let it be fulfilled. Strive forward in sanctification, church. Always strive forward. Allow yourself to be refined, set apart, and reminded of the good purposes that God has in your life. And finally, I know I've given you a lot of scripture today, but I wanna, I wanna give you one last piece. And so I want you to put your hands out like this because I want you to receive this. I want you to grab onto it, if you will. I'm a visual person. I need to feel and touch and see. I need to use my senses. And so grab hold to this. Hebrews 12, it says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run friends run take that next step run with perseverance the race that's marked out for you fix your eyes on that end game fix your eyes on Jesus the pioneer the perfecter of your faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross He scorned its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that what? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Be encouraged today, friends. Don't lose heart. You're running a good race and we are so proud of you. And keep going. One of the things we heard, I think... (laughs) 57 times at the conference this week. Lean in. (laughs) Lean into God's word. Lean into God's instruction. Lean into the things that he has for you because they are good things. Continue to grow. Continue to repent. Because friends, the kingdom of God is near. And we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray.